Hi, and welcome to Inglewood Presbyterian Church in Kirkland, Washington. We are a church for the neighborhood, whether you're a local neighbor or from far away, all are welcome here. We are pleased to present to you our weekly Sunday sermons. Our head pastor is James Cuman, and you can find more information about us on our website at inglewoodpc.org. And the choice is Exodus 20, 1 through 2, and Exodus 12 through 17. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then to verse 12, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. When we think of law, maybe the first thing we think of is a big, thick book. But of course, nowadays, we're much more likely to look things up on the internet. Right here, for instance, are the regulations for where I live, single-family residential zones in the city of Kirkland. Not exactly what most people consider recreational reading, even for me as a former city planner. But this might be a better way of thinking of law. Law that's enacted, law that's put into practice, law that changes how we live. After all, why is this crosswalk here? It's in the middle of kind of a residential neighborhood. Well, it's here because it's protecting children. This is an elementary school right here, Robert Frost. I'm now at Carl Sandburg Elementary, and just like Robert Frost, there are crosswalks and safety precautions all around, but just like Robert Frost, there are in fact other rules as well. Again, we have embodied our values that we hold collectively and come up with a variety of ways that we think best express, best embody how this space should be used for elementary kids, for their education. You might notice that not all of these rules are beyond dispute. For instance, the sign above my left shoulder here saying in graphic images, no skateboarding, no rollerblading. We can disagree about that, but the origin is out of a conversation. How do we use this space for the ways that best encourage the growth and learning of our youngest children? It's helpful for us to take a little bit of a pause and reflect on how we think about law 
because that's what we come to in today's text, these Ten Commandments, ten words as they're known to our Jewish friends. God's stipulations, God's requirements, the things he asks of his people in covenant relationship with them, the way he asks his people to embody a relationship with the God who created them and has chosen them and now takes them to be his own. And on one level, of course, these are not unusual commandments, numbers 5 to 10 anyway. Most societies throughout the world have thought that murder was a bad idea. Stealing, lying, marriage is upheld. Those are all perfectly normal. And in fact, most cultures throughout history have probably done a better job of honoring parents than modern American society typically does. But in this context, commandments like this, civil society like this, actually is unique. The Greek and Roman gods pretty famously didn't really care at all what the ethics of their followers might be. They were in it for their prestige and the victories over the internecine squabbles amongst the gods themselves. Likewise, other religions and societies in the ancient Near East, the gods rarely cared deeply about the stealing, lying, killing, or otherwise of their followers unless it directly affected the prestige of the god, him or herself. And yet God, the Hebrew God, Yahweh, makes the ethical shape of the community central to his covenant relationship with them, with us. Notice too how other directed these commands are. Our parents, to point out the obvious, are not ourselves. The command is not actually don't kill, the command is don't commit homicide. It's other directed. Adultery is a breaking a covenant promise with this one other human being with whom a lifelong commitment has been made. Stealing is wrong when it's from someone else. Likewise, bearing false witness against your neighbor. As another scholar equipped, with one very, very minor exception, the universe is full of others. And the God of the universe invites us into his concern for others. Do you see how this works? That God comes and makes an exclusive covenant with this people. He chooses them out of all the other peoples of the world, not because they're big and important and have something to offer him, but because he wants to offer in free grace something to them. But then in binding himself with them, invites them, invites us into sharing his concern for others, to join him in his self-giving. And that's where this final commandment comes in. It's a really striking command. Not because it's not a human universal, obviously throughout history we've wanted things that don't belong to us. We've all been discontent. We've all thought we were missing out on something that if only we could have that other thing that is, well, it belongs to someone else, our life would now be complete. 
What makes this command unique, though, is that in no other ancient Near East law code was there anything like it. Certainly not in a covenant context, and not even in a civil context. There literally are no commands like this one that get at desire, that make commands about what we want internally. Even when the word covet is used in the ancient Near East and other law codes, it's only about coveting enacted, coveting when you actually take something. Not here where it's literally just don't set your heart on things that don't belong to you. Which super easy for us to do, yes? And speaking of coveting, anybody up for an Audi RS5? Tesla Model S? Range Rover? Anyone? Covet? Of course we covet. Everything in our society bends us towards being discontented with who we are and what we have. We're constantly told that we need more, mostly more things, to find fulfillment and happiness in the good life. I mean, I can sit down simply to enjoy the news, and the very first page informs me that if I'm really going to be content, not just to be well-informed, but have my life fulfilled, I need a $10,000 watch. Here's the thing. On our own, there's no way we could follow this command. On our own, it's actually impossible to obey a command like this to not covet, to not desire. But this command comes in a context, the context of a all-loving and all-powerful God who invites us into a committed covenant relationship where we give him our devotion and he gives us himself and with himself all things. See, we can't control our feelings, but we are responsible for them. And God invites us to love. God invites us to be satisfied. At which point the question comes, how do we do that? How do we shape our desires so that we can grow into this kind of person, this kind of people who are satisfied and content? One of the answers is simply practical common wisdom. Resist the temptation to get more, to need more, to put our identity in our stuff. If we're in a situation like right now for all of us where things are taken away, ask God for the gift of being content with what we have, not what we had. Of being content with what he gives us, not putting our hopes in what we think we need. Throughout the history of the people of Jesus, there's a tradition, a practice, that many, many people throughout history have found useful, and that's fasting. To actually choose to go without something for a time to shape our desires and our feelings. Fasting traditionally is done by going without food for a time. The easiest way to begin is simply skip lunch. Or if that seems too little, skip lunch and dinner. Have breakfast and then wait until breakfast the next day to, to eat. 
And when you feel hungry, what I found is that when I'm fasting and, and feel hunger, it's a constant reminder of why I am doing this, that I'm choosing to go without food because I want to want God more than I want food. Of course, you can fast from almost anything else. Netflix, your favorite app, almost anything can be voluntarily let go for a time to remind ourselves that as good as that thing is, God is better. Jesus is better. And our prayer is help our hearts believe and trust and rest contented. Because that really is the point, to be content in him. Ah, friends, don't covet what's your neighbor's. Not because it's some rule, but because the invitation is to be content with Jesus. Covet more of Jesus' presence in your life. And that's that's the root of, of all of this, to have more and more and more of him and be filled. So whatever that looks like, whatever that takes, open up the scriptures, get time with him. Make, again, the first task of every morning to have your heart be happy in Jesus. To not covet what doesn't belong to you and instead covet what does. The God of the universe belongs to you if you simply say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. Make me part of your people. And in the goodness and graciousness of God, he answers that prayer and welcomes us home with open arms. The richness that can only be described in scripture with the metaphor of a feast. The eternal celebration and delight of a life with a God who covenantally loves us. Thanks be to God. Amen.